0: Um, by identifying the reality that in our religious tradition, as in most, it's a recurrent event that our passion for believing gets attached to uh, a form of oppression by people from outside our religious practice that can produce tremendous harm. So David was referring in this case to the Crusades, passion for believing from amongst the adherents, getting attached to a nefarious, oppressive aim. We in our church, uh, a big a part of our story, is extracting ourselves from one form of that, where our passion for believing became attached to um, a particular form of oppression or suppression related to gender and gender identity. This kind of occurrence, though, keeps happening, right? It's something that continues to occur, where who we are, what it means to be Christian, to be in the Christian tradition, is often taken over or co opted by others with agendas. And because our passion for believing is powerful, It can be particularly destructive and harmful and difficult to change. And so, if that's something that resonates with you, um, my hope this morning is to present an occurrence in the life of Jesus where he perceived this and was affected by the same kind of occurrence, the same sense of having been co opted, the religion, the temple the whole packaging that he loved, when he perceived it having been corrupted, what did he do? How did he respond? And his response, I found to be quite telling, expansive, uh, complex. A whole lot of options. If Jesus is a go-to person for you, a whole lot of options that he presents for you and I to choose from in terms of how to respond. So the story uh, that I'm reading is, I'm taking the account, uh, this is a story that got a lot of attention, that emblazoned itself on the followers of Jesus. They were really taken by what they saw when Jesus encountered something troubling in his practice of religion, They were taken with his response. It's recounted recounted in all four of the stories of Jesus um, and with a lot of detail. And so we're taking the one, I'm working with the one today that comes from the gospel attributed to Mark. It begins like this. This is chapter 11. When they, meaning Jesus and his followers, were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go ahead into the village, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So this is called the triumphal entry. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Now, he's probably visited Jerusalem as a child for festivals and holidays and things like that. But this is the first time he's coming as sort of the um, emerged Jesus. Jesus in his ministry, his mission. And he's coming sort of as an outsider. He's from the North Hill country. He would have been categorized, caricatured as uneducated, Um, not one of the academic elite, not from Jerusalem, but he's from the North Hill country. He's coming to visit the seat of power for the religion that he loves, but it's also clear that he is troubled by it. He's coming to his home, in a sense, as an adherent, but as someone who has something to say, <laughs> there are things about it that are troubling to him that he will declare in short order. The people lean into the awesomeness of his coming. They see him, this is sort of a classic king entering town, right? But Jesus <laughs> makes it clear that he is not doing the normal kingly thing. A king entering triumphally into a town that he is going to perhaps take over, would come with an army carried on a litter by multiple soldiers with fanfare, trumpets, all of it. The king would come with a display that would communicate power, that would terrorize the people, that would let them know that he is in charge. He is here to dominate. Jesus instead comes on a small horse, unadorned, dressed simply, We in the Christian tradition, I think, <laughs> we can't quite let that be the case. So we celebrate this thing called Palm Sunday. Oh, the people took palm branches and threw them down. What really appears to be the case is the people are thinking, oh, this has got to be better. So they're running around into the fields and they just cut grain and throw it on the road in front of Jesus. We've got to do something to make this bigger than what it is. right? But Jesus' coming diminished which is consistent with his anti-authority, anti-domination ethic of kingship, right? But the people say, oh, he's coming as a king, then Jesus Jesus makes this little visit to the temple. Now, this will turn out to not be like a tourist visit, all right? (laughs) You kind of think, oh, he wants to see the sights. He just can't wait to see the temple. No, (laughs) he is scouting it out. And the trouble, Jesus finds, is that there aren't enough people here for what he wants to do. It's late. Things have quieted down. He has plans, okay? So, evening, morning, the next day. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. So, so just to be clear, the tree is not doing anything wrong, okay? It's just not the time for fruit yet, but Jesus is hungry. He said to it, may no one ever eat from you, fruit from you again, and his disciples heard it so Jesus wants a fig there are no figs he curses the tree and it registers on the disciples the disciples hear it like oh what was that now to help us through the story what we need to know is that the entire story is about Jesus' response to the trouble that he perceives in the institution all the words actions of Jesus reflect that. So what this is saying is that the first response of Jesus, the pre-conscious, the pre-thought, visceral, gut response of Jesus is curse you, damn you, institution. The first response of Jesus is, you just have to die. This, This is irredeemable, This is horrible. This is hopeless. This is deplorable. I am so appalled at the corruption that I find in this place. Curse you. Damn you to death. Right? (laughs) So if that's in you, as you encounter corruption in this system that at least I love, know that you're not alone. But... He continues walking. He does not utter his curse, turn on and go home. He keeps going. It says, Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching. I love that. <laughs> Uh, Jesus' pedagogical technique. <laughs> Overturning tables and whipping. And, you know, there's one of the accounts of whip of cords, and he's driving people and, oh, no, you can't walk through here. But he's teaching. <laughs> he was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So I would call this a public, disruptive, and symbolic act of protest. And a couple of things to note. The first reaction of Jesus, curse you! I think is visceral, gut, kind of again, pre-conscious. This is fully embodied and passionate, but thoughtful. Jesus has scouted out the terrain. He knows what he's going to do. It's intentionally disruptive, intentionally passionate, but it's also symbolic, okay, I don't think Jesus actually believes that this act will transform the practice, whatever it is that's troubling him, which we'll find out about in a minute. I don't think Jesus thinks this act is going to fix it. Right? Whatever he disrupts today, the tables will be set up, and the money will be changing hands, and things will be flowing smoothly tomorrow. I don't think Jesus thinks he's going to transform the corruption itself or the purveyors of corruption. I think Jesus wants to communicate something that will be remembered. Jesus wants to say to those who are watching, perhaps to those who are also troubled, or at least confused. Jesus wants to declare, I am with you. I, as a person of voice, see the corruption. I am troubled. There is an alternative. There are those who think that it should not be this way, and he wants that to be remembered. It's interesting, too, that his target of protest is the church, right? Our version of the church. When you and I think of like civil protest, public, disruptive, symbolic acts of protest, we usually go to seats of government to the city building, to the state capital, to some federal building. And Jesus could have done that, right? In part, he is perceiving, I think, that the religion of his day has been co-opted by external political forces. So he could have gone to the seat of governance in Rome, Pilate's house or temple. He could have gone, Herod was a puppet king who was a, a civic Government official. He could have gone to Herod's palace. He goes to the temple, right? It'd be like you or I, if we are troubled by something in the church, in Christianity, picking the cathedral, the church, the place inside, and going there to be disruptive, going there to say, What is happening? I think Jesus believes that the hope is in this institution, what he wants to inhabit, what he wants to bring to the world will come from and through this institution, the religious place that he loves. And so that's where he's gonna to go to protest. And so that's a different effect to me. right? That is someone from inside communicating about the religion to those watching, to those wondering, yes! This is a mess. This place, from this place, emanates mess. And when Jesus um, calls it a den of robbers, here's where we get a little clue into what he's perceiving. Okay, He's not just saying, yeah, there are bad financial dealings here. He is bringing into the people's awareness a story from of old that they all would have known. The prophet Jeremiah, 600 years prior, had apparently, in the mind of Jesus, encountered similar difficulties to what Jesus is perceiving now that Jeremiah decried saying this. So this is from Jeremiah. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And say, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one one with another, if you do not oppress the alien the orphan and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. But here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? I so said, that's a little deeper than pilfering some money from the offering plate. Jesus is saying power. Jeremiah was saying, and Jesus is saying, yes, again, power in religion is oppressing the powerless, is oppressing the foreigner, the orphan, disempowered women, widows, making money all the way along and then coming into church and saying oh we're safe here cuz we're in the church jeremiah is saying no jesus is saying no right this is his this is what he's decrying there's public disruptive symbolic act of protest <laughs> so some people are upset <laughs> People who he's decrying detect it, uh, seek a bad end for him. Having had a busy day, he and his disciples go out of the city, evening, morning, the next day. It says, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree wither away to its roots. (laughs) Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Like, wow, that was pretty impressive. And it's interesting to hear the response of Jesus. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. And then he continues, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that God in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Now, in my Christian tradition, in my upbringing, these little things, the cast them out into the sea if you have faith, and the forgive so others will forgive you, those were always just taken out, right? They're little independent phrases or instructions that Jesus tosses to his listeners. But I don't think so. I think they're a part of this whole package. I don't know if something in what Peter says causes Jesus to realize how his followers would have perceived the whole cursing thing. You know what Jesus says? Actually, I'm not here to kill it. I believe that it can be transformed. I believe that mountains, whatever you want those mountains to be, mountains of corruption, Mountains of wrongheadedness. I believe that mountains in the thing can be picked up and moved. I believe that this can be transformed. It's an interesting phrase of Jesus that comes into play in a little bit. You know, He, he says repeatedly when questioned about the temple, oh, I can destroy this. Always followed by and rebuild it in three days. Which is kind of baffling and strange, but I think what Jesus is saying is, oh yes, There's a lot of dismantling that needs to go on here, but I believe in the community of God. And so whatever is erected will resemble that, will be recognizable as that kind of thing. And so Jesus is saying, I believe this thing can be fixed. I have faith that it can be transformed. And then he follows it up with, (laughs) and when you pray, forgive. Right, I think here too, Jesus is not talking esoterically or independently or some you know, abstract, disconnected thing. He's saying, you have bitterness against those who you perceive as doing wrong. Those who you perceive as having become corrupted, as leading the way to oppression. It's just going to be so easy for you to villainize them, for you to otherize them. In the same way that power otherizes the marginalized, the righteous can otherize the villains. And there's this little phrase in there, right, Jesus? As you forgive them, God will forgive you. Jesus is just saying, don't think you're so different. Don't think you don't have that same propensity that you're decrying. And those who are the villains right now, don't go there. And Jesus inhabits this all the way to the end too. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right, Jesus too, rather than otherizing us, rather than condemning us, comes and is one of us. And so we come to the end, and like I'm both grateful and challenged. I am so grateful, and the one kind of sadly grateful, right, that this just keeps happening again. Jeremiah, 600 years before Jesus, Jesus, um, colonialization, all of it just keeps happening and happening and happening, it's sad. We are not in some unique way immune to being taken over, being co-opted, the passion of our belief. But then I see in Jesus and his followers must have noted because it's here, this full array of responses. In Jesus is curse you. In Jesus is public protest to communicate Somebody thinks this is wrong, right? In Jesus is the possibility of transformation. In Jesus is, forgive them. Let it go, right? All of them are hard for me, truthfully, if I think about it. You know, it's kind of easy to to curse, but to actually, sadly, but to live in that, right? Like, you kind of, oh, I shouldn't feel that. For this Dutch, Midwestern, conservative, religious, good oldest son to publicly protest. And especially because I am not the object of oppression. right? The system does not oppress me. So why would I protest? To believe in the possibility of transformation, sometimes it's too much, right? It's just like, no. I don't really think so. Okay, I'll try. And then to forgive. Right? But what's lovely, this is the last thing I'll read, uh, another evening, a morning, again they came to Jerusalem as he, was ta- as he was walking in the temple. And the story goes on from there. Right, next day, Jesus is back in this place of trouble and disturbance and unrest, walking, teaching, preaching, doing it. So, I again find it helpful just to know this is, a, this is a, a thing that happens to us. This is a thing that happens to the Christianity that I love. I am a Christian through and through. My religion gets co-opted by others for nefarious aims. I have the propensity to do the same. My invitation to you this morning is, if any of this resonates with you, I'm just going to bring us into a moment of reflection, of thoughtfulness. Are you troubled by what you sometimes experience or see happening to your faith, to the Christianity that you inhabit? Do you find yourselves either in any of these, being invited into any of them? Where is the disturbance that you experience? What's the invitation from Jesus to you this morning? Jesus saying, I feel you, I hear you, I've lived what you're living. How would Jesus call you to follow him this morning? So Jesus, we bring ourselves to you as a community of faith, people gathered here because of you. In this place of community, sometimes so disturbed by what we see and feel happening to it, to us. Would you bring us into (laughs) the hopefulness, the possibility of transformation, the ability to forgive, where we might protest our own guttural cry of, damn you. We give you this moment, Jesus. Thank you again, Jesus, for just through and through being in our experience of life with us. Amen. So we go forward now into the uh, remainder of our service, our practice of communion.